Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. This first week of Advent is, is when we begin looking towards Christmas. And I remember at times thinking that Advent was just an extension of Christmas, that it was the four, four weeks of Christmas that led up to the actual day of Christmas, but there's really a lot more behind Advent, right? There's a lot more, and we're going to be talking about that this morning. Um, but I just wanted to kind of go back a little bit. A lot of what I had in my in- introduction, Jim and, and Dave already said this morning, so uh, I'm going to recap that a little shorter because I still want it for the sake of people who are at home listening with us this morning, um, just to kind of be able to experience a little bit of what, of what we're experiencing here this morning with the decorations. You know, if you look around the, the church, we've got trees everywhere, and you just walk in, and you, you feel Christmas right away. Beth, Beth and her team did a great job, didn't they? They did. Um, it was awesome this week to see you know, the three days of prep and all the boxes out, and then to come in this morning and see how everything came together. Um, so that was, that was really awesome. But among the decorations is the Advent wreath, right? And then there's, there's five candles in the Advent wreath. There's the four weeks, and then there's the Christ candle. And each week, you'll see that there's another candle that's lit as we wait with eager expectation to celebrate the birth of Christ on Christmas. It seems like we're often looking forward to the next holiday celebration in the church almost before the one that we're currently in is over with, especially in our culture. And I think that sometimes that's because our holidays mark the themes and the events that remind us of everything that God's done for us, right? And in the world that we live in. So it's, it's expected that we would want to celebrate all the holidays. And when one's starting to come to a close, we're already looking forward to that next one. This week, even as I, as I worked on the sermon for this morning, I was working on the music for Christmas Eve. I was working on the sermon for the 26th music for New Year's Eve worship night and already starting the outline for a Lent devotional. <laughs> we, are, we are so far in advance already. Uh, Lent is, is right, right before Easter, but we are already thinking about it <laughs> months away. Sometimes we let our, our anticipation get the best of us because we miss out on the moments that are in between because we're already moving from one to the next. So this year, I want to challenge you to take a deep breath, just exhale, and just be in this moment, right? Enjoy the moment that you're living in right now, because as we're going to talk about, and as we're going to look at this morning, although we look with hope to the future, the present is just as important. When you look around, you can see the anticipation ramping up everywhere that we go, right? As we get closer to Christmas, uh, Christmas decorations 
are everywhere. I always thought when I was growing up that we had a lot of decorations. I remember getting all the boxes out and all the snowmen and all the Santa Clauses and everything coming out and all the different things that we had. And then I met my brother-in-law, DJ. He was going to be here this morning. Um, but they're at, they're at home with Sam. He's a little sick and under the weather today. Uh, but his, his Christmas decorating is, it's, it's next level decorating. It's, it's not quite the Griswolds, but it is next level Christmas decoration. I remember last year we were fortunate to be there for, for the holidays, and it seems like every room you walk into, whether it's the family room or it's a bathroom, there's a piece of Christmas that reminds you of the season that you're in. And I love that. I remember as a kid sitting around the dinner table um, as we went through Advent and reading the Advent devotional. And then you remember those little calendars that you could like open the window and there's like a piece of chocolate in there. You know, I know there is supposed to be this anticipation for Christmas, but I was just excited to get a piece of chocolate each night when we opened those things. But I remember that. And now looking back at it, looking back at it, you can picture visually how that anticipation begins to ramp up as a kid, even without really realizing it. There's one less day every time you open one of those before we get to Christmas. And it seems like Christmas prep this year especially has been kicked into overdrive. I remember walking into uh, Walmart at the beginning of, Hall- uh, beginning of uh, October, Halloween season, and thinking, what? what's going on? Hannah, did I miss Halloween? All the Christmas decorations were already out at the beginning of October. It's like Christmas got kicked into overtime. And I don't know if that's because of supply, supply chain issues or consumerism or maybe a need to be hopeful for something more this season. But it seems like, the, like we've, just, we've been kicked into overdrive and all of those things begin to build up anticipation for hol- the holiday that's coming up. As Jim talked about it, um, and here this morning, the Latin word for Advent is Adventus, which means the coming or, or the arrival. And during Advent, we celebrate multiple arrivals. We celebrate the coming as an infant in his incarnation, right? We, we celebrate the birth of Christ. We anticipate the arrival of Christ's second coming. And we celebrate his arrival in our hearts uh, when we put our f- faith in Christ for salvation. There's these, these three different ways that Christ is, has come to the world or is coming to the world that we can focus on during this season of Advent. And with Christ's arrival comes a lot of change and a lot of meaning. Faith in Christ is meant to be transformational. Right? It's not something that we, we put our faith in Christ and we leave it there. It's meant to change us. Christ accepts us as we are, but he doesn't leave us that way. And among that change and that meaning that we celebrate during this season are four themes, hope, peace, joy, and love, which we're going to be diving into each week. And this morning we're talking about hope. As I was spending some time Monday thinking about this, this sermon and beginning to write, a question popped up in my mind, and I wanted to ask it to you this morning, and that's, have we made the word hope too trivial? 
Now think about that for a moment. Have we made the word hope too trivial? Has it become just another word for wishful thinking? Because I think you'll agree this morning, hope is much more than that. Hope is more than just wishful thinking. It's, it's more than, than blind optimism. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a phrase at the beginning of that verse that I wanted to look at. Preparing your minds for action. Literally translated, it means to gird up your loin, the loins of your mind. And it comes from the ancient form of clothes that Middle Eastern men would wear. They generally they wore these long robes, these long ankle-length robes. So to gird up your loins meant to hike up those robes, right? Pick them up a little bit, maybe tuck them into your belt so that you could move more freely. As you can imagine, it's a little bit difficult to run in ankle-length robes. Uh, you know, one of the things I thought about was uh, brides in their wedding dresses. Like, you don't see them run real often. Uh, they're not generally moving real quickly. Uh, but it's not uncommon that if they are trying to move a little quicker, they don't pick their dress up a little bit so they don't step on it, A, so they don't get it dirty, and, and so that they don't trip. When you're out on the dance floor, you maybe move your dress a little bit or put a different dress on or take the train off so that it doesn't get stepped on. And I feel like it's the same thing. It's that same image of these you know, Middle Eastern men picking up their, their robes a little bit so that they can move, so they can be prepared for action. So to gird up the loins meant to prepare for action. And part, part of setting our hope on the grace or on the, yeah, on the grace of Christ is in active preparation. It's not something that's passive. Hope, is, hope requires an active preparation. It's, it's not just looking toward the future with expectation, but it, it means preparing for that future right now. Our future is impacted by the present for better or for worse. So what are we doing right now in this present to prepare for the future? And that brings us to the first major point that I have this morning, and it's this. Hope is a certainty about the future that impacts our present. Hope is a certainty about the future that impacts our present. Amen. Our hope's not blind optimism. Our hope's based on the events that we know to have taken place in history. Right? We know that the power of God, we, we know of his power because of stories like the Exodus and, and Noah's Ark. We know about God's faithfulness because of stories like Abraham and David. We know about his grace and his love by his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. God is eternal. Right? He's always been and he always will be. So if we believe in the events of the past, we can look towards the future that he's promised us with confidence. Amen. A promise of salvation, right? The promise of transformation in our lives. The promise of restoration in the world and the promise of Christ's eventual return. 
And because we're confident about our future, that should impact the way that we live right now. One of the things that I, I grew up uh, with my family, we, we love hiking. We'd love to hike. Uh, we've got most of Phil Stagg's Michigan Waterfall books. If you like waterfalls and you don't have them, I would recommend them. Uh, we don't leave for the Upper Peninsula without having uh, those books and a bunch of hikes marked with sticky notes and notes of which ones we are our top priority and which ones we'll get to if we can. Growing up, a lot of those vacations that we took were planned around those waterfalls, which ones we wanted to go to, uh, and the hike that awaited us. And the first time down that trail is always full of optimism, uh, but rarely certainty, because sometimes the waterfalls were just kind of a dud. <laughs> sometimes they were, they were not great. You got done with the hike, and you're like, that was absolutely not worth it. <laughs> Why did we do that one? Come on, Phil. Help me out here. Right? Not every hike was worth the effort, but on the hikes that we had done, the hikes that we knew we loved, there was a hopeful optimism because we were certain of what awaited us. We knew what waterfall was at the end of that trail. We, we had an idea of what to expect Right? We may not know every bit of what waits for us at the end of life, but we do know the God who waits there for us. Amen. And ultimately, that's what really matters. If we've put our faith in Christ, if we can say that we know God, then we know who waits for us. We know that what he has for us is, is, is better than anything that we could come up with for ourselves. When you look back at the Christmas story, almost all the characters were full of hope about the fulfillment of a historic promise that they believed in because of their past experiences. And those past experiences were dictating their present actions. In Isaiah 9-2, it says, The people who walked in the darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. When you read the Old Testament, one of the themes that comes through is, is exile and rescue. Exile and rescue, over and over again. Over and over, these, the Israelites, they found themselves in captivity, needing rescue, needing deliverance. And this moment in history that they were in, in Isaiah, was no different. They had these prophecies of a coming Messiah that they believed because of the ways that God had worked in the past but at the same point, they'd been in captivity for a long time. As you page through the stories in Luke, there's this character who is really easy to miss. His name is Simeon. And Simeon is a perfect example of someone whose life centered around a future promise that had been given to him from God. If you blink while you're reading, you'll miss his story. It's not a long one. But this verse in Isaiah is one that Simeon would likely have prayed about, he would have meditated on repeatedly, wondering and, and believing that sometime soon, out of the darkness he was certainly living in, there was going to be deliverance. Sometime soon there would come this promised Messiah. And after Jesus' birth, Mary and Joseph, they took their son Jesus to the temple to participate in some of the 
uh, the Jewish religious customs to bring their sacrifices and, and to dedicate and consecrate their baby. And that's where we pick up the story in Luke 2, 25 through 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took, in his, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Some traditions believe that Simeon was 112 years old when he finally met Jesus. I can't imagine waiting that long. He'd been promised that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And then at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, he was at the temple at just the right moment. It doesn't seem like he had any doubt of who Jesus was. As soon as he saw him, he knew. And I have to imagine that in that moment, Simeon was overcome with, with joy and with hope because he knew what the Messiah was there for. He knew what he was waiting for. He knew God's promise, and he knew that it was on the verge of being fulfilled. And then we see this prayer over the baby as Simeon takes him into, this arm, into his arms. And I can't imagine what's going through his mind as he knows that he's holding the Messiah. He'd been waiting longer than I expect to live. <laughs> and in his time, Simeon had seen the Romans conquer his people. He'd seen a bloody civil war. He saw multiple revolutions that had tried and failed. And yet he had held on to hope this whole time. Not only that the Messiah would come to his people, but that he would get to see him and finally it's coming to fruition. The second point this morning is this. Hope is birthed out of deep longings and desperate need. I have to believe in that moment, that's where Simeon was at. His longing, his whole life had just continued to build and to build and to build to see the Messiah. And he knew how much his people needed a Savior. And here it is. Luke described what Simeon was waiting for as the consolation of Israel. And that word consolation means encouragement or comfort. For hundreds of years, the Jewish people had been dominated by foreign nations, the Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans. And when you read the books of the prophets, particularly Isaiah, you're reading these prophecies and these promises that are being received by, by the people um, 
through God, through his prophets, in the midst of all this turmoil. God was telling his people, I know this looks bad now, but it's going to get better. This may not seem like my plan, but just wait. In Luke 2.25, he tells us that Simeon had been waiting. The word that he uses is prostekamoi. Prostekamoi, which means to give access to oneself. Right? To give access to oneself. This, it's like an, an intense waiting. It's a, it's a waiting that involves a sort of pain, an awareness uh, of our deep need for something. Right? Not, just, not just waiting for the next best show to come on, not waiting for our next favorite episode to come out or for Christmas on, or presents on Christmas morning, but an awareness of our deep need for something. Simeon's hope, his expectation, was birthed out of waiting for a Savior with an awareness of his deep need for God's comfort and healing and for his nation's comfort and healing. And I think it seems like sometimes we have a hard time allowing ourselves to be vulnerable enough to experience this kind of waiting, right? To be aware of this kind of need in our own lives, in the, the lives of the people around us. I think there's moments when we're aware of how in need we are, how far from what God's intention we are, and as soon as we realize it, we want to cover it up and make everything better. We live in a culture that's made it far too easy, especially this time of year, to shut off the part of us that's required to experience the need for the Savior that comes at Christmas. And it's too easy to to fill our, our need with shopping, with Christmas parties, with accomplishments, with TV, with just stuff, right? And I think sometimes without even realizing We fill our time with less important things so that we don't really need to look deep within and deal with the issues that we know only God can tackle. Sometimes, subconsciously, we know that there's a pain lurking beneath the surface we don't want to deal with, so we just fill it with all sorts of other stuff. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about Advent. The only ones who can celebrate Advent are the people who carry restlessness around with them, whose souls give them no peace, who know that they are poor and incomplete, and who sense something of the greatness that is supposed to come. There's a certain truth to that fact that there's a certain level of brokenness that is helpful to experience and understand so that we can fully understand what it is that God came to do for us. We have to take the time to face the brokenness of our world and to wrestle with our own pain and our own brokenness. Because out of a deeper longing can come a greater hope and a greater comfort in Christ. Out of this deeper realization of our imperfection, we can come to a more concrete realization of our complete and utter need for a Savior. Only then can we understand that we can't do this on our own. There is no amount of good works that we can do because more than likely we're going to screw it up again. (laughs) 
Our hope is found and realized in part because of our longing. But our hope comes from a person. And our hope comes from a person. That's number three. Hope is found in a person. If you remember that, back to that verse in 1 Peter 1, it tells us that our hope is not wishful thinking. Our hope is guaranteed um, not because of some chunky 401k, not because of some special relationship or a new job, a great president, you know, a good medical report. All of those things would be great. I don't think there's any of us who wouldn't want to have one of those things or all of those things. But if that's where our hope ends, then we're sure to end in despair. If those things are where our hope ends, that comes to an end at some point. And inevitably, one of those things or all of those things is going to fall short. And even if they didn't, they're completely incapable of cleansing the sin problem that we all deal with. Our hope is in Christ, and our hope is secured in his future return. That's what it means in this verse when it says, the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. As you read through the New Testament, there are more people who missed the significance of who Jesus was uh, than people who really understood it. Even Christ's disciples, who he spent the most time with, at times, totally missed out on the significance of who it was they were walking with, but not Simeon. As soon as Simeon saw Jesus, he knew who it was. He knew the significance of the moment. And you kind of have to wonder how. (laughs) If Peter didn't get it, how did Simeon get it? Because Peter saw a baby. (laughs) Peter spent his whole life with the guy. Why did Simeon see Jesus for he, what, who he was when so many others missed it? And the answer is that those others were looking for the wrong things. Or they were looking for something that Jesus wasn't. They wanted a Messiah who checked all of their boxes. Right? Not so much God's will. They were more worried about checking their own boxes off. Their hope was for a political warrior king who could throw off the shackles of their oppressors and to restore restore their nation to their former glory under uh, David and Solomon, to have all the riches and the king who rulers from around the world came to seek. Instead, they got a baby (laughs) who, as he grew, talked about loving your neighbors and praying for those who persecute you. They got someone who, instead of toppling the Romans, willingly gave himself up to crucifixion on the cross. Certainly, that did not meet their expectations of a warrior king. Those expectations were on what they wanted God to do. And in fairness, aren't our expectations often shaped by what we want God to do? When Jesus failed to meet their expectations, they missed him altogether. But Simeon had a different So I want to ask you a question this morning. In the midst of whatever it is that you're going through, whether this moment is near the top of the moments of life or it's 
near the bottom, where do you find your hope? Where do you find your hope? Is it based in something that you want God to do? Or is your hope based in God himself, regardless of what he does? Is it based in something that you want God to do, or is your hope based in God himself? Because those are two vastly different things. We all have things that we hope for. We all have things that we think God should do, prayers that he should answer. And often the holidays can be a stark reminder of all the things that are out of our hands. The things that we have no control over. And sometimes we struggle to remain hopeful because of those. So I want to challenge you this year to focus on the difference between being hopeful for something and remaining hopeful in someone. At the beginning, we talked about girding up your loins, right? Preparing for action. We need to wait on God and we need to to wait actively, to wait expectantly. Right? Sometimes wait feels like it's passive. You sit and you wait. Right? For how many years we've been sitting and waiting for Michigan to beat Ohio State? <laughs> it took a lot of preparation <laughs> for that to actually happen. Right? I remember when Hannah and I found out that we were going to have Emerson. Right? In nine months seems like a long time to wait. As we waited, we, we filled that time with prep, right? Redoing the guest rooms so that all the visitors we know would want to come see Emerson so that they would have a place to stay, which uh, priorities, right? <laughs> Getting Emerson's room painted, pictures hung. There's still some, a couple picture frames that are in the room that don't actually have pictures in them. They're just a stock photo. <laughs> it's okay. We'll, we'll get there. You know, reading all the books you're supposed to read, having baby showers, thinking about you know, what our church at the time, what their nursery needed. Nine months, right? And then just about the time that we were somewhat relaxed because we thought Hannah was scheduled to be induced, like it was going to be at this date and this time, uh, we were sitting and eating Thanksgiving leftovers and playing some games, and surprise, <laughs> Emerson was ready. So we flew up to Traverse City, and Emerson was born, I think, like 30 minutes after we got there. It was, it was a rush. And we felt surprisingly relaxed the whole time, other than thinking we might have a baby in the subway parking lot in Kingsley. <laughs> we were fairly relaxed the whole time. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. First thing, I mean, it was super fast, so you didn't really have time to worry. <laughs> but more so was the fact that we had time to prepare, right? Our faith in God and our time to prepare for what was coming made it easy once that day arrived. We had an idea of what was coming, sort of. <laughs> we were ready-ish. I call it ready-ish. The truth is we don't know when Christ will return. We don't know what that return is going to look like exactly. Right? Even after our Revelation series, I still have a lot of questions. <laughs> we still can't know exactly what the return is going to look like. But we do know there's work to be done in the meantime. 
while we wait on Christ, what would set us up to be more prepared for his return? And I think Advent is a perfect season to really think about that. Right? Maybe it's in forgiving someone, or maybe it's in seeking forgiveness from somebody. Maybe it's in actively waiting by pressing into God more through worship, through prayer, through reading scripture. Right? Maybe it's in, in truly repenting and, and confessing sin and then figuring out a way to be accountable to actually change. Maybe it's in serving and loving one another. Maybe it's something else entirely. But one way or another, we wait. One way or another, whether we want to or not, we wait. So let's wait actively. Let's wait in hope of the one who is truly able to do beyond anything that we can ask or imagine, Jesus Christ. Like as Dave sang about it this morning, the name, right? That name, that person is who we wait for. Let's pray. God, we thank you for um, the opportunity to be here this morning in your house. It's a reminder every week of the hope that we have the optimistic hope that we have because we know who you are and we know what is to come. And we pray this season as we go through Advent that you would strengthen us and to encourage us to remain expectant. And as we do that, that you would prepare our hearts, that you would prepare our minds and um, our words I pray that as we go throughout our lives and through our uh, days, that we would see the moments that you've set before us to grow closer to you and to draw other people closer to you, God. As we, as we prepare for Christmas, as we approach that day, God, I pray that we would draw ever closer to you, more expectant and more eager. In your name we pray. Amen.